Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome everybody back to another episode of Animals to the Max. I am your host, Corbin Maxey. Thank you so much for listening. How's it going? I appreciate you listening. Thank you so much for the interest and, uh, Man, do I have a great guest for you today. I had such a good time interviewing Henry from the Pittsburgh Zoo and PPG Aquarium. So Henry is the current curator of the Kids Kingdom at the zoo as well as the reptile department. And he has been at the Pittsburgh Zoo and PPG Aquarium for over 38 years. That's a long time. That's a, and Henry is still going strong. And uh, anyway, not only do we talk about just, you know, Henry's career being just a keeper up to curator, working with all different types of exotic animals, we also touch base on the conservation efforts going on right now at zoos across the country. It's great for any of you who have ever wanted to pursue a zoo-related career or for those of you who are interested in animal conservation, this is the podcast for you. I hope you enjoy my interview with Henry. So Henry, you've been with the zoo for 38 years? I have been at the zoo for 38 years. I started when we were transitioning from the old Victorian zoo. Pittsburgh Zoo was built in 1898. And we went to a new zoo where we had landscape immersion exhibits and put conservation at the forefront of what we do. So we, I got to be here for that great transition. I'm really happy with my career. Well, I, I mind you for, for listeners, um, Henry hasn't been there since 1898. <laughs> I look like it at times, but no, I have. <laughs> there, I got a little, you know, I got a late start. No. So how did you get into this zoo field 38 years ago? Did you always want to become a zookeeper? Actually, I wanted to work with animals, but I grew up inner city. I was an inner city kid. I grew up three miles away from the zoo. I went to school. And I, well, I went to my high school counselors and asked them, and they were blank. How, you know, I want a career working with animals. So I, I actually gave up and went into teaching for one year of college, and I found a program at Penn State University, ag education. I got to work with animals, and I got to stay on the teaching track. Ended up teaching three years in the city schools here in Pittsburgh, and um, applied for a job at the zoo. Started out as a zookeeper and loved it. I absolutely found the perfect job. So when you started 38 years ago, you become a zookeeper. Was it competitive to become a zookeeper then? It actually was. This was a city-run zoo at the time, and you had to take a applied civil service, and uh, they gave you a test. But the interesting part, when I applied for that job as a civil service office, I thought I met everything. I, my application looked good. My resume looked good. I had been working with horses, and I worked at the racetrack at Penn State horses, cows, pigs. And so I applied for the job, and I had experience with animals. And I, it was put in the reject pile. And the guy says, I can't accept this because you don't meet all the criteria. I said, what don't I meet? And he said, you need one year experience working with wild animals. Now, mind you, you had to be a resident of the city of Pittsburgh. And how many people have experience working with wild animals that live in the city of Pittsburgh? I said, buddy, I've been teaching for three years in the city schools. Two years as a substitute. How wild do you want it? Got <laughs> a reject pile and put it in a good pile. So that little comment saved me, got me on my career course here. Yeah. Okay. So you are a new zookeeper. Where do they put you? And, and, and can you tell us 38 years ago, what was the Pittsburgh Zoo like? I mean, I remember, and I'm not even, gosh, you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm 28. So I went there when I was a little kid. And so um, I remember it was so big and they had these, 
great, you know, moat exhibits. And so tell us like how the zoo was 38 years ago. Well, I'll start you with the, the history in 1898. It was actually conceived as a trolley park. So, um, Christopher, Ly- Christopher Lyman McGee was the originator of the concept of having a zoo. There were three small zoos within the city of Pittsburgh or close by. He wanted to consolidate. He was looking for people to put money towards opening a zoo as a, as a civic venue. Uh, but it was at the end of a trolley line that he owned. So the purpose is to get people to ride the, tra- the trolley to the end of the line on weekends when they're not going to work or something. And there are other parks like that. Our, our amusement park, Kennywood Park, was founded in the same way, different trolley line. So he got the people together and uh, built this zoo in 1898. And it was very Victorian. You know, you had the formal gardens, ivy growing up the the brick walls, the animals were in cages, you know, uh, similar to what you would have seen at the time, like London or Paris. And it brought out a lot of the people. It brought, you know, thousands and thousands of people on weekends to see animals like elephants and tigers and polar bears. Uh, they'd never get a chance to see. They're common working folks. It got a, a facelift in some ways in the during the WPA days, Work Progress Administration, during the depression or trying to give work to people and they created the bear dens and some of the other areas where we had hoofstock on a hill so this came in in the late 30s early 40s and the big changes really came at the very end of the 1970s they started conceptualizing plans for landscape immersion uh those were originally developed in areas like uh seattle and uh you know it was allowing the animals to be in barless exhibits where you could look across an open moat or something and see them. You know, that, that goes back to the Hagen back, that back in Germany. He used to, you know, uh, be an animal dealer, but opened his own zoos. And um, he started those Bardas exhibits early 1900s. And, but we refined them in a way. And it was interesting because animals change their behavior tremendously. When, for instance, we brought down the lions in 1983, their brand new exhibit. They had been in caged areas with concrete floors for their entire life. They walked out, the male walked out, and he gently pressed down on the grass, never had walked on grass, pressed down to make sure it was stable. It was, it was really interesting to watch. He took a couple steps, gingerly to make sure it would support him, and he walked up to the highest promontory of the entire exhibit and just wow. in a legal way. And it was Really nice to see him enjoy his exhibit. And all the his females came out, the entire pride just loved their new exhibit. So it was different. And, and the press wrote it up. And it, it shows you how little some people know about animal behavior. And they wrote it up, the, you know, the animals can roam free and such. So people thought they came here and some were disappointed. I thought I'd be able to pet a tiger or a lion. Like, you know, <laughs> I said, maybe you didn't read the Bible. We've been cast out of the Garden of Eden. I say, <laughs> we said, from carnivores that are considered dangerous. So uh, the evolution was not only on the zoo end, but on educating the public on what to expect when coming to a zoo. So the views are great, and I think the people had to learn to appreciate the animals in a different way. Mm, and I think I think what you said, I think it's a great example of how zoos evolved, because I'm assuming back in the day when the Pittsburgh Zoo first started with the lions and those bar cages, it probably was state-of-the-art at the time. Would you say it, that? It, there were people who, you know... Um, they wanted to preserve history, and some people just wanted to keep that old zoo. And I worked there during that transition. I can tell you it had outlived its time. You know, we, we 
the staff here, we did the best we could with what we had, but we were relishing this change that was coming forward. And uh, the animals enjoyed it. And, and, you know, significantly, we're seeing increase in breeding and we're uh, the animals uh, that may have had some pacing problems in the past. Those things diminish in, in one way. And it's because we were able to make the adjustments that resulted in a psychologically better environment for the animals. And I think the public liked them more. At first, they had to adjust. They used to be able to look at a, a tiger or a lion maybe six feet away from them behind the bars. They had to adjust to looking across the moat and, and plantings. And, you know, our, our Asian forests where we had our tigers introduced, it's all planted with natural plants from Asia. And it gives you a, a feel of being, you know, instead of the old concept that we took the animals out of wild and put them in this Victorian human setting, we flipped it around. We took the people and put them in that animal setting. And it, it took a little bit of time for people to adjust. You know, they were used to that close proximity. Hey, you had to discover these animals now. They're roaming out behind rocks and trees and, you know, they're enjoying it. And, and you can too if you give it a little time. Oh, that's awesome. And so really quick, just an overview for my listeners. And I've, I've went to the Pittsburgh Zoo when I was a kid. I just remember it was huge. So I did some research, but this is from Wikipedia. So we can't ever, I mean, Henry, we can't really trust that, but it said that it was the Pittsburgh Zoo is a little over 70 acres. Is that correct? It's 77 acres. Yeah. 77 acres and home to over 4,000 animals. That is correct. You know, we have a, a wonderful aquarium and some of those numbers are, are aquarium. We, I think we have the best uh, aquarium that's zoo-related. You know, if you come to a zoo, a lot of them have aquariums, but they're small um, ancillary-type exhibits, you know. And But we have a huge PPG aquarium that allows um, the visitor to, to come out in the winter, and, and it's almost tropical winter. So in my mind, it's one of the best zoo-related aquariums, if not the oh. best. That's great. Well, I cannot wait to come visit actually someday soon, hopefully this year. So really quick, take me back. Okay. Let's go back to the eighties, right? Or I guess like, yeah, I guess the eighties when you started at the zoo, what animals were you working with? Well, I got the the good luck of starting out with animals that could bite me and not be seriously hurt. Um, <laughs> I ended up working in what they called the twilight zoo it was designed uh, originally as an underground zoo it was buried underground, but they evolved it into nocturnal crepuscular animals. And I got to work with animals I never even heard of, you know, uh, Pottos, Galagos, and I'm like, you know, African crested porcupines. And if you ever want to be in a situation, being with five of those and, you know, Pottos, Galagos, and um, uh, Fennec foxes all at the same time and have a power outage and you're underground and the lights don't come on. Oh <laughs> you ever seen African porcupine, the quills, they have the rattles on them. I would just wait, listen to them rattle because now they're agitated. I know where the door is mentally. I got to get out. So. Uh, <laughs> And I got to work with all these animals that, you know, at squirrel monkeys, we had uh, macaws and all in goodies all in the same exhibit. And, you know, it was such a thrill. And I learned so much so quickly about animals. Again, some I had never heard of, uh, you know, I worked with uh, fruit bats, the uh, giant fruit bats. And, you know, there are so many different animals that I, I'm aardvarks. I'm trying to come up with them all in my head because it's been a number of years. But it was a learning experience. I got to work with reptiles, birds, mammals, and had a significant number of births. I actually had one um, squirrel monkey give, you know, unbeknownst that she gave birth a little early. But there was some commotion going on in the exhibit. And there's macaws, agoutis, sloths, and um, squirrel monkeys in the exhibit. I go in, and the male squirrel monkey got 
the macaw by the throat and is choking it. I'm I'm trying to break it up. Oh, no. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on. And next thing I realized, the macaw had grabbed one of the, grabbed the baby that was just born. And so, I, you know, he was being a good dad. He got the baby away. Everybody was fine. There's no, I'm thinking, you know, they, everybody coexisted great. But, you know, there was a transgression made. And the baby was unharmed, uh, which I was pleased about. And, um, but it shows you the dynamics of, a, of the exhibits at the time. We had so many animals. I think I had 77 different species I worked with at that time. Wow. And that's actually, that's interesting you said that because you were working with a mixed species exhibit. That must have been extremely new in the zoo world, correct? Well, it was. And there weren't many places that, uh, you know, a lot of times they would have uh, a single species in there because it's almost easier to manage. But I would say the interactions can be amusing and fun. And I don't, I didn't see it as a, a negative thing at all having mixed species. The goodies would like, you know, sometimes would let a squirrel monkey ride them, just like at the rodeo, you know, go around. You'd see them just flipping their hand up, and if you know, it's anthropomorphic, but they were having fun. I mean, they really were. And so I enjoyed working there, and I did that three and a half years before I moved into a, a role of a relief keeper. I worked every department at zoo at one point, ended up in elephants and drafts um, as a end of my keeper career before I became assistant general curator of the entire zoo. So I got to watch the transition. I got to be a part of an active part of, of the transition in, in helping design exhibits and things of that nature in my career. That's awesome. And so you were, let's go back. So you were a relief keeper working in all different areas. What was your favorite area of the zoo and what was your least favorite? Well, I liked working the uh, cat department. We, it was brand new. Oh, and, yeah. you know, we had lions, we had tigers, um, uh, snow leopards, and I'm trying to think. We took care of the rhinos at the time. Um, we had in leopards, so we had a number of different animals. I found that um, I, I just enjoyed working with the big cats. Obviously, uh, there was a danger aspect to it, but um, it was they they bond you. I mean, they're just like a, a pet. I mean, they they bond you, and they 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 respond well. You could do training with them, and that was sort of novel to me. Uh, these you know big carnivores and, and training them to, to do things that um, are beneficial to them. And, you know, that's been built up on over the years. So you'd be surprised what we can accomplish, you know, from hand injections to, um, you know, radiographs and things that couldn't do years ago. So that started when I was working with one of the keepers on our lead keeper down there. She taught me so much. Uh, I really appreciated all that. Wow. And so, so you worked with many cat species. Let's dive a little further. What was your favorite cat species to work with? Or d- did you have a favorite? Well, I like the tigers. And uh, I think the reason I, I like the tigers, big difference between working in lions and tigers. In, in a pride situation, the male lion always seemed to resent a male presence. And people laugh. You know, they, they, I think they smell the testosterone and uh, noted. So the male Lion was always somewhat intolerant of me. Male tigers actually seemed to love me. I mean, I, I had great relationships with male tigers, so I enjoyed that. You know, so, yeah, so we, you know, we started, uh, I started working with them. And, you know, tigers also were one of the first animals that I worked with that was part of the species survival plan. And there was, uh, I had a great admiration for that concept where we were going to take a different approach to how we, 
uh, bred animals in zoos. You know, before the SSPs were formed, the first one was with tigers in 1980. Uh, Pittsburgh Zoo bred many tigers, but we were just, you know, looking at our our local population of animals and breeding. So the concept changed where we were going to look at the North American collection uh, and genetics were going to be at the forefront of which animals are breed. So it, a decision might be to bring an animal from San Diego Zoo to Pittsburgh to breed with our, one of our females. And, you know, there's, it's not about making money. There's no money that uh, was involved in that except for transport costs. The genetics of the animal with, with is what we put first. So we were able to look at those programs. And uh, at first, there's a lot of paperwork because we didn't have all these computers, but now computer programs can do the, the matchups for us. But at the time, we would look at genetics and breeding coefficients, uh, mean kinship relationships, and say this animal would be a great genetic match. Now, curators would get involved in a different level. It may be a great genetic match, but what's the behavioral match going to be like? And there's where decisions had to be made as a more subjective way. You know, our male's kind of tough and or your female's going to beat up that male. And so those kind of decisions are made. But what transpired is we were trying to maintain its genetic diversity of the tiger population over 100 years where you would have no more than 10% inbreeding uh, increase, you know, maintaining 90% of the high uh, heterozygosity of the animal. So it's pretty, it was a pretty neat concept to me at the time. So that's another thing that I enjoyed about working with the tigers. Yeah. And it sounds like it was really groundbreaking at the time too. It was, and it's now been used, that model's been used in throughout the zoo. So uh, that was the first species that it was designed for and it slowly evolved until we covered just about all our species. Oh man. So the big cats, so you worked with tigers. Did you also work with leopards as well? We did, yeah, we had African leopards. We've now gone to armor leopards, the Asian form, which is much more critically endangered. And from a conservation standpoint, there was it was part of our African savanna as far as the concept of design. But we realized, you know, African leopards weren't at the same numbers that we're looking at Asian leopards. With the armor leopards uh, that had a range of northern China and eastern Russia and perhaps uh, North Korea, which is just a, a black hole for information, estimates are less than 60 animals were left in the wild. So the decision was made, let's breed this subspecies as opposed to the African leopard, and uh, it's, it's done wonders for conservation. So a lot of people don't realize, you know, we're not here just for entertainment. Our, our, we recognize people come here as a way of, you know, having a family event and spending time and learning. Uh, that's certainly a key function of what zoos are about. And I think it's a number one function, uh, ed- educational aspects, whether it's informal reading the signs and, you know, seeing demonstrations at the zoo, those kind of things. Um, you can take formal classes, but conservation is, so we, you know, try to make people aware of all those programs we're involved in. We support uh, programs throughout the zoo. So their admission coming to the zoo helps us support things like Cheetah Conservation Fund, uh, International Elephant Foundation, and there's a list that goes on and on. So people don't realize all that happens when they pay their money to come into the zoo. Okay, so Henry, so you worked, so the big cats were your favorite. What was your least favorite area? You know, at the time, this is going back to the old days, you know, we had birds all over the zoo. And so it was just an extensive area. They had, 
if you worked in the bird department, you literally covered 77 acres. Oh. And um, so, it, you you know, and it didn't, you know, birds were down in a different area. That the, the staff that worked that area didn't have to take care of them. It was the bird keepers are going around and, and take care. So it was just the length of the day. It was trying to get everything done in that single day. And uh, I like birds and everything, but... Boy, and some of the uh, old holding areas were less than desirable. So on a number of levels, I, that was probably my least favorite. And, but, you know, moving on, when I started in, you know, being a relief keeper, I ended up uh, working with elephants and giraffes. And I think uh, as a highlight, as a keeper, uh, nothing could have been better. I, I tell people my favorite thing in my whole career is I actually had an opportunity on four different occasions midwife, unsedated giraffe uh, mothers and, and, and pulled calves out. The first one was really crazy. I had a pregnant giraffe, and she, you know, I had never had a pregnant female, and so I uh, asked other zoos what happens if baby gets stuck in a birth canal. Got videos of, you know, pulling it out with a 10-foot snare pole. And I was working um, in the office, and I got a call that she's going into labor. I get up for her in, the, in the, my first female that was going to give birth, um, had gotten two shots of oxytocin, unable to deliver her baby. And I'm up in close proximity, but I'm on the other side of a barrier to one of our uh, docent staff. And she comes over and nuzzles me a couple times with her head and turns around and spreads her legs and presents to me as if she wants me to deliver this baby. And it's I'm dumbfounded. The vet's on the other side of the room. He says, Henry, He's going to let you deliver that baby. You'd be my guest. Well, I take, I had the cast off. I took a wrap off my arm and shirt off, lubed up. I was faced her butt up and pulling a baby out. And, uh, you know, I've done it four different times. I don't know if anybody else has. So, you know, the fact is I had to trust working with this, you know, huge animal. Um, I think she liked me a lot and she allowed me to, to help her. I had talked to uh, game officials in, in Africa. Females die with, you know, in, childbirth and a calving when in a while sometimes they can't pass a baby so then not only did i bring a baby to the ground i may have saved mom and so Henry, that is love. something a lot of people would not have on their resume <laughs> that is yeah. insane so you know that that working with elephants and giraffes were certainly one of my favorite parts of any of the animals i work with i still consider working with elephants uh Boy, they're the smartest animals that I've, you know, primates and many dolphins and stuff. There are some primates, not all, but elephants are really smart. And, uh, you know, we focus on elephant breeding here quite heavily at the zoo. Um, so we're, we're um, elephant-centric in a lot of ways. And uh, we've been had successful elephant births and um, very proud of it. Yeah. And so were you working with Asian or African elephants? I was working with African elephants. Wow. And did, so did the zoo only focus on African elephants? Have you guys ever had Asian, the Asian species? When I first started, we had Asians. Yes. And uh, we had Asians and Africans and they cohabitated. I was not working with them at the time, but yes, they had both on exhibit. And it was shortly after uh, I started, they focused on elephant or Africans and not Asians and uh, shipped the Asians out to another zoo. That's interesting. Was there a difference? And this is just out of my own curiosity being a zoomer, but was there a difference between the African and Asian, like temperament wise, or I'm, I'm assuming husbandry was pretty similar. Well, as from my understanding, again, I wasn't working with the Asian. I think I spent a day or two working with an Asian. Uh, 
But Asian elephants historically were used uh, as work animals, and they use them in logging and are trained. And, you know, uh, African elephants were never used that way historically. As a matter of fact, when uh, the Belgian Congo and King Leopold tried to put together uh, a group of, I don't know, rangers or an army or whatever on African elephant back, uh, this is in the early 1900s, it didn't work. I mean, it just didn't work because it's a different, they're a higher strung animal. They, uh, they you really have to develop uh, a trusting relationship with them. So, um, yeah, Asians are probably more amenable to training and working than an African elephant. Wow. Wow. And so also giraffes. Okay. Did you ever work with the great apes? I did. I actually, part of uh, my early career, I got was selected as a keeper to help design what became our tropical forest building. And uh, I worked as a relief with the, the great apes. And uh, there was a time where we had um, torn down our old building and we moved uh, the great apes into temporary, or what was our quarantine, and, and moved them in there for a short time. And I got to work with them there. And then when we opened up our, our tropical forest building, I was a assistant general curator and I played an active role in working with the animals there. Actually, I brought in, I think, all the animals we got, we had in a building, except for the gorillas at the time, uh, when we first opened the building in 1991. Wow. So, so you had, you know, more than great apes in the tropical building. Let's talk about some of the species. Well, we, we have lemurs and we had, at the time, when we first started, we, we had lemurs, we had howler monkeys, we had, um, uh, boy, I'm going to go back in time here. I think what all we had in there, um, uh, uh, gibbons and, uh, orangs, those, uh, mandrels, uh, uh, colobus monkeys, uh, and there's, there are other ones in there. There's, there were a number. So it was, we have, uh, about a, 35, 40 foot high building has a central core planning area and exhibits go around the, uh, the plantings. Wow. That sounds amazing. Sounds amazing. So I remember when I was a kid, clearly Henry, you had a hippo. Did you ever get a chance to work with your hippo back in the day? We did. Yeah. But you can't be that old. Wait a minute. We had, uh, one hippo at the, when we closed the building, it was one of the last animals we shipped out. Her name was Mem, Memo. Uh, and it was for, Memorial Day. She was born in Memorial Day, nineteen forty-four, and so uh, she was she was shipped out. And she was a very easygoing hippo. The keeper would just walk in sometimes with a bushel basket of fruits and vegetables. She would open up her mouth with those huge teeth and tusks, just you know, and just as wide as she could open. He would take the bushel basket and just dump it in her mouth. She was so friendly. She, you know, <laughs> so it was a uh, pretty neat. It's so crazy to me that they're the, you know, they kill more people than any other animal in Africa. They just, you know. Well, they can be dangerous, and that was what made this animal, uh, you know, unique. There are people that have, uh, and, and rightfully so, a concern of working directly with. I did work with hippo not too often. I'd say probably less than 10 times uh, as a relief keeper. Uh, but I just emulated what I saw the, the primary keeper doing. I tried to behave just and the animal accepted me. So even though I wasn't, I didn't have that, that bond, uh, she would give me enough respect, let me do what I needed to do. You know, you, you take those things in stride when you enjoy your job and you're working with animals you like. So, um, you know, it's, I, I find it funny that 
some people were repulsed by the sense of like I worked elephants that come in. Oh, it stinks. It smells. I like the smell. I it gave me, you know, smells can evoke a, a memory and it gave me happy thoughts. It gives me, you know, if I go up the elephant building now, I go back to the time I work with them just by the smells. I love the smell too. And do you ever get offended when you hear visitors say that you just like, Oh, <laughs> well, there, there have been times when, like when I worked elephants, they said, Oh my God, it smells. How can you stand that? How can you stand that smell? You know what I'd say? It smells like money to me. Cause I'm, I'm getting paid to do this. <laughs> Quite frankly, there are times I think it's amazing. I get paid to do what I do. I mean, it's, you know, I enjoy my job and how many people I got friends that, they, you know, they may make more money than, we do in this field, but it's not about the money. We do this because we love what we do. And if you do that, it's, it's, it's painless for the most part. You know, we come in, I, I know I love my job. I don't want to, I never call off, want to play hooky, that kind of thing, you know? So I, it, it's a combination career and a hobby. I mean, I love what I do. And whether it involves the, the smells that come along with the elephants or, uh, you know, there are, things that you don't like people say, what's the worst thing about your job? And sometimes I say the meetings I go to, but it's not really true. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or having to do stuff like this to wake up early and do a podcast. <laughs> we, we, you know, we, we have bonds with our animals and it's a closed society here. Just like in human society, sometimes an animal passes away. That's your favorite animal. And it's hard. If you're, if you ever had a pet that you lost, that you're very close to, it's the same thing. And that's definitely the hardest thing. I think back to some of the animals and, and it still chokes me up. There are animals I had a relationship with that I miss. So that that's the hardest part of this job. I never had like definite part of the job I hated or something. And it's not that I even hate that part because I know the you know, animal lived a good life and was well cared for and, Lived a long time and everything and everybody's time must come. But, um, you know, it's still, it's tough to take from, for, I don't care who you are. If you work with them, you feel that way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you were a keeper for how many years until you became a curator? Uh, about 10 years. And um, so, yeah, it's been, it was, a, it was a, a great experience. And that's the other part of it. I never minded. Some people are always like career minded. They, they want to go up the I always loved what I did. So I love being a keeper and, you know, I love what I'm doing now, but um, I still get to do some hands-on stuff. A lot of curators, as they move up, you're tied into more, less animal related stuff because you're supervising the staff. So, you know, you got HR issues. You got to, Hey, I don't know. Anybody gets in this field that wants to discipline, you know, I, I love to get in this field so I can discipline somebody for doing something, you know, <laughs> you gotta be nuts. I got in this field cause I love animals. Um, but as I said, into um, meetings more than I like and uh, spend less time with the animals, but there are new people behind me. There are new people who are replacing me and what I did. And I'm, I, I take a lot of pride in seeing the staff that uh, not only, some of them remind me of me. They take it to another level. You know, the newer keepers are doing more. You'll see a lot more enrichment going on, more training going on, things that uh, in my day, you know, I was on the forefront of those things. The keepers before us didn't do those things. We didn't call it enrichment. We did a lot of uh, things that were now be considered enrichment, but now it's formal and we, we have calendars that go in and we, we track everything we do, whether animals like things, don't like things. So we don't repeat things that aren't enjoyed. So 
the zookeeping has evolved even not only on the, the animal exhibit end and our collection end, but on the staff that cares from everybody, just about everybody has college education. They come through an internship program here at the zoo or some other zoo and they, they hone their skills and they come in and they bring with them so much from the day they start. I started at, you know, as I said, I didn't even know some of the animals that I was working with. And so it was an experience that I, I'll never say I didn't enjoy, but these new keepers come in, they already know so much just going into the job. It's a change in the zoo world, you know, seeing these people coming in with talents already. They don't have to learn it here. They've already come in with quite a bit. So they bring a lot to the table from day one. Yeah. Do you miss the good old days, Henry? Well, yeah, you do. And you, you do miss, again, the animals you work with, the staff you work with, you do miss some of them. Um, uh, I still fill my days with the, you know, the animals we have now. And it's not that, um, yeah, but you think back and it puts a smile on your face, you know, when you, you think about what we're able to do and what, you know, uh, and some of it might've been beginner's luck. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> there are things we did that wouldn't be, you know, my boss would probably fire me now, but hey, well, don't put. She's actually told me, if you ever did that now, I'd fire you. <laughs> I think you have job security, Henry. Well, <laughs> Pretty safe to I, say. I don't know about the security. I, I'm thankful for every day I get to work again. I mean, it's it's a it's a like a career and it's a hobby. I come in here, I'm doing stuff I enjoy. Yeah, and so it sounds like you're still. I mean, being the curator, but it sounds like you're still hands on with the animals. That's great. Well, and, and some of the staff that work for me, uh, I worked side by side as a, as a keeper. And I was, you know, it's a unionized zoo. I used to be the union rep. And everything. so they, they had just have a respect for me. I, I worked, you know, along with them and they know my capabilities and they're comfortable with them. Just like animals become comfortable with us. Uh, my staff is comfortable. So if something needs to be done. They don't think of it odd that I, I I'll go over and do this, I'll, or I'll move this snake for you, or I'll, I'll help. But actually, sometimes I think one of my pluses, or maybe it's a character flaw, is I like to take personal risks. You know, so if there's like a hesitation, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll go do that, and I, I think it's a challenge. I, I enjoy that because I think I'm good at it. Catching That's an animal, it, it's it's a skill that not everybody has. They, you know, we got a great team, and there are strengths and weaknesses on every member of the team. I always accentuate animal keeper's strengths, but some are a little nervous about catching a crocodile. You can show them how to catch a crocodile, but you know, <laughs> you got to have some timing and you, you got to, you know, the fear has got to be yeah, somewhere else. You just got to do it. And, um, you know, so I still enjoy doing it and, you know, what can I say? I'm a little bit of a ham on that end, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So when, so were you always the curator of, of kids kingdom or were you a curator of a different department or how did that work? I I went from assistant general curator, which was overseeing all the keeper staff in the zoo to become a curator of our children's zoo, which was at the time going to be demoed and um, rebuilt into the, uh, what became kids kingdom. So there was a year was a children's zoo and then um and i was overseeing reptiles at the same time so those two areas um mostly close proximity one was next to the other here at our zoo the way it originally was and so i got to oversee both and uh, oh good yeah are you are you good with kids (laughs) i am i actually like kids they put a smile on my face sometimes as much as the animals you know again that's another thing cable tv maybe podcasts like yours are i see kids 
having so much more knowledge than my generation about the animals. Uh, they come in and, you know, sometimes will ask me questions or they'll start telling me, you know, about this animal. And, you know, I'm talking like a five-year-old or something you know, coming in and, and educating me about something. How can I not smile that this kid knows so much about animals? I want them to know. And when I hear them coming into the zoo with that kind of information, I think shows like, you know, and Steve Irwin used to be on it. I think the whole reptile world uh, sort of changed in, in zoos because of people like him bringing them to the forefront, people like yourself. And if you get people excited through, you know, TV appearances or shows or podcasts, they come to the zoo and I'm impressed. I am impressed by the people. Yeah. And that's why I love working with the Pittsburgh Zoo, you know, in the PBG Aquarium. They've helped us out on the Today Show a few times. And I have to say your, your team and your staff and Trace over there, they're always so eager to do it. And I think it's awesome. They're always eager to do it just to, you know, get the word out there. And they brought on some amazing animals. So I think it's great. Yeah, we, we love the exposure. You know, some people have malign zoos and there, I'm sure there are some that I'll never convince that zoos are good. But if you spend time and you and we can get our, our word out and show what we do, you'll realize we have a great benefit to society and we have a, a tremendous benefit to the animals we care for. Uh, we promote conservation. We're involved, actively involved in conservation in the, in the field. And if um, people are open-minded, they will be much more amenable to, to supporting zoos than being detractors. So, you know, there are a lot of people out there that, like to see us shut our, our door. And I'm here to tell you that most Pittsburghers and people from the surrounding area support us tremendously. And I think we do a great job as most zoos do, you know, back in the day, there were zoos that didn't deserve to be open, but I think we've, we've held ourselves accountable as collectively as zoos. And uh, as such, those changes that I talked about the zoo having made were made in a very positive way, not only here, but in other areas and other zoos as well. So We've come a long way in my career. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I have to say, and mind you, for those of you listening, if you don't know this, zoos are the number one recreational activity in the United States. And I think the latest stats was what, Henry, over 185 million people visit zoos in the U.S. and then several hundred million more in the world. It's insane, the, the statistics. It is. Yeah. We, more than all the sporting events combined here in the U.S. Uh, so, yeah, we have uh, a niche that uh, allows us to – get out of the information that we like to get out about the animal and educating the public about what we do. So we hope that continues and those who would like to be detractors of us would be more open-minded to why we exist and, and listen to our message and perhaps they'll change their mind and support us in the future. Absolutely. Okay, Henry, something I've never said actually publicly is I've always wanted to be a zoo curator. Nice. Yeah, you know, I got a lot of people want to be a zoo curator. I got a guy <laughs> with me for, I don't know, 20 some years. He's been waiting for me to retire. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to drop dead. He goes by, he doesn't say, when are you going to retire? I want your job. So you might have to get in line, you know. I think, yeah, I might just have to get a job first. Uh, I was going to say, so take me through your day. I mean, you said that you oversee staff. What do you do as a curator? I mean, are you looking at the collection? Are you designing new exhibits? Tell us, take us through your day. You know, typically on, on a day, a lot of what I do is uh, communicate with staff. Set expectations, what's going to happen today, what needs to happen uh, communication comes from them as well. You know, we have a meeting in the morning. Um, animal acted oddly yesterday or they have some concern. Uh, we bring it up. Hey, we, we, do we need to talk to the vet about it? So we have this, a, 
a meeting that allows for two-way communication between me, what is on schedule today, what we're going to need, whether it's event procedure, a tour, uh, those kind of things. Um, and they will tell me about what their animals were like the day before. They put everything in writing, but I like to have it back and forth where we actually talk about it. So I can delve into it a little bit more. And I think they like it that way as well. So we start our day that way. And we go, then we go out and check our animals and we make our rounds and, and make sure everybody, you know, has been fine throughout the, uh, and we get ready for, for our zoo guests that, uh, shortly after that. So our first hour is, you know, rounds. And then we go into, Hey, we're open. Let's get everything ready and, uh, start, you know, getting things cleaned. We, uh, get diet preparation. I also oversee our commissary as part of uh, my job. So I check on them to make sure all the animal diets went out correctly. Everything's fed um, as prescribed by our veterinarians. And um, so I make rounds like a multiple departments through the zoo and I make rounds and check on the animals in various places. If something's amiss, I make the keepers aware of it. Sometimes again, they may, um, they trust me if the keepers at the other end of the zoo taking care of a crocodile at the other end of the zoo. And I look in the uh, rattlesnake cage and it, it had defecated. I might call him and say, you're going to be down here soon because, you know, just looks unsightly. I said, you want me to clean it? I'll ask him. I'll say, do you want me to clean it? Yeah, you know, I still enjoy it. So, you know, a hands-on thing. Yeah. So I'll do, I'll do that. But meetings, curators go to a lot of meetings. Oh, man. So that's probably your least favorite part of the job. Is that something I'd have to deal with a lot of meetings being a curator? Yeah, being a curator, we go to animal management meetings where we discuss once a week. We have a meeting with all the curators of veterinarians and we discuss um, a multitude of of things, whether um, animals incoming, outgoing, uh, any concerns we may have on uh, health issues. Anything that's going to affect us in any way, the animal department in any way, is, is discussed at those meetings. I also attend, you know, what they call department head meetings. So that's where it's more general. You have marketing department involved and you know, research and everybody. So everybody sits in those meetings. We take I take that information back to my staff the next day. So everybody's aware of what's going on. So you may not think it affects you. Like, you know, you work in your own little world and you're not in kids' kingdom. And what's going on in the other end of the zoo, you know, you know, the spring sp- hop, to s- the spring is going to go on. They, they may want, because, you know, they may be going to that area for some reason. And then all of a sudden there's several thousand people there that they weren't expecting. <laughs> so I try to give the whole view of what's going on on a daily basis. Okay. And so just for people who haven't been to the Pittsburgh Zoo or the PPG Aquarium, what animals are you overseeing in the kids' kingdom? Uh, Kids Kingdom starts off with our sea lions. It's an animal that um, has a lot of play behavior. So it was our focal animal as an entrance point. So as you come in, you'll see the sea lions. And as you enter, it's sort of a clockwise rotation through Kids Kingdom. First, the next thing you hit is a playground. And the playground is animal-themed in the sense we have otter slides and penguin slides and uh, a spider climb. It goes, you know, takes you up to... Um, I don't know how high it is now, but the slide coming down is 88 feet, but it makes some crooks and turns there. So um, kids can have some fun. They go through a walk-through aviary. We have some uh, African bill. Uh, we do focus on a few North American species. We had deer, uh, otter, beavers. We just unveiled the fact that our otter 
gave birth, and so we had our eight-week uh, physical yesterday for the for the media here, and uh, we have two males and two females, and they got vaccinated and um, got their physical in front of the media yesterday. So, um, so we got you know beavers and um, kangaroo and mole rats and lots of snakes and all kinds of things in, in kids' kingdom. So uh, domestic animals as well in, on our lower area where the more traditional children do the kind of thing where you in a goat yard or you can walk in with them. We got llama, cooney uh, cooney pigs, uh, Sicilian donkeys. So we have, we run a, we, we have a, a big collection. Yeah, I was going to say it's a big collection. I have – I'll tell you what. This is a little off topic, but you mentioned beavers. Every zoo in my old zoo used to have them, and I've been to a few different zoos. I've never seen beavers on exhibit. Do you have an issue with that just because they are nocturnal? No, actually, we don't. And uh, one of the things that um, has made them so popular in our past is we've had you know, beaver kits born. And if you want to see an active exhibit, watch Dad with beaver kits because you know mom actually focuses on like nesting behavior and she will attend to those that are up on dry land dad's job apparently is to make sure that the kids don't get themselves in trouble in the water so it's funny to watch he will go out one will go for a swim he'll go over and retrieve it he picks them up in his mouth and he, he will carry them in in his front paws when he gets to land he'll walk bipedal on land with one <laughs> And it's his mom, like, you know, we had like eight babies. This was hilarious at one point, you know. So he would go in to go retrieve another one. Sometimes the one he just brought in would jump on his tail and ride back in and get a ride. So it was never ending. I mean, this poor guy was like, in and in and Mom just sat there and, you know, she would stack up logs and, and, and build a nest and nurse those that came over or whatever but uh dad had the toughest job and it's interesting because they're you know monogamous animals so you're you're seeing this male parental behavior you don't see in a lot of mammal species and uh so it's fascinating so the best time to see beavers is when you have a bunch of baby beavers as well awesome awesome well tell you what henry i've learned so much today do you have any last minute words of advice for someone who aspires to be a zookeeper or even a zoo curator well, I always tell people my advice, not to someone like you, but some of the general public, uh, you know, I, I encourage people to come in and do an internship. Obviously, schooling's important. I, I tell people it's such a competitive field. Yes, there are people who don't have college degrees, but you have to prove yourself. And one way of proving yourself is, is doing an internship and people can see how well you work and how well you learn and uh, whether you have what it takes. Because I've had people come in and they had a completely – a dreamland idea what you know I had, all i want to do is teach animal sign language well that's great but somebody got to clean the poop <laughs> <laughs> and so you have to you have to you know, spell it out from it's what the job entails as part of it too and but you know that's a part of it we were responsible for cleaning and then we got the other aspects where we get to train and we get to do enrichment and we get that uh, bonding that goes on so Internships are one of my number one recommendations. So, you know, get involved in an internship at a zoo near you or Pittsburgh Zoo and um, see if it's a good fit. I'll tell you, 99% of them find it's a good fit. I, I will say I've had people intern and I you know, hired them as a seasonal employee and they interned there. They were on a track to be an MD. 
their mothers were very disappointed <laughs> when they became animal keepers. But they, they said they, it's all blood now. They, you know, they couldn't couldn't walk away from. And there's something to be said for it. You know, I tell people, you do this more than anything else in your waking hours. You should work at a job you enjoy. You know, you do it more than the time you spend with your family. You know, we're spending nine, ten hours a day here, and we love it. If you're doing something that makes you miserable, it's really not worth it in the long run. Hey, we've all done it. We've had to take jobs we didn't like. Uh, but, you know, transition into something you like doing, and animal keeping is certainly one of them. Don't plan on being rich. I'm plan on <laughs> It was so funny. I just uh, we, we we just did an episode with the wildlife rehabilitator, and I said, "Mady, do you have any words of advice?" And she's like, "Well, you don't make any money. You never have a summer off. <laughs> you don't. You know, it's just so funny. You're cleaning up poop, and anyway, but it is true. I think, <laughs> it's, but at least you do it for the passion. You know, you do, and you know that's that's a trade off, man. I I think it it'll lead to a long life for most of the people that work in this field um, because they enjoy what they do. If you're miserable. You know, you see, I, I tell you, I see people who, who have good paying jobs. They don't like it. You actually see sometimes on these Wall Street people, they, they give it all up and they go open a, you know, they buy a small farm and just turn around. They made their money. They put, you know, they're now in their late 40s and they decide I'm packing it up. I'm going to do something simple and uh, enjoy life. And, you know, farming, working with animals on a farm, not too different from zookeeping. Yeah, well, Henry, it sounds like you're not going anywhere soon, which is sad for the person waiting for your position, but good for you. Yeah, you might want to tell him. Yeah, Ray. <laughs> you just, <laughs> do you have any really one last question? Do you have any dream exhibits or dream animals? I would I guess if I had a dream exhibit, it would involve orangutans. I would like to do something where it was a just a huge exhibit where they could move from place to place. You know, National had the o-line where they can cross over and go from one place i'd love to see that expanded to multiple locations like where you know they can go from point a to point b to point c and almost evolve or rotate around the entire zoo in a way that um, would give them the exercise to really appreciate orang i think you should see them when they're active not just sitting somewhere or just stationary up in a tree i'd like to see them moving so i think that's sort of a dream exhibit i would have that's awesome. Awesome. Well, Henry, thank you so much. You've said it all. Congratulations on your 38-year career, and I hope to come visit the uh, Pittsburgh Zoo sometime soon. All right. You're always welcome, and uh, give us a call and let us know when you're coming. That Thanks sounds good. Could I be, would you hire me as a zookeeper for the day? <laughs> do I? We could probably do zookeeper for a day, yeah. Okay. You're like, you just rolled your eyes. You're like, oh, man. I haven't seen your work yet. I'll, I'll put you on like, all right. I would like to teach you elephant sign language. That's my goal. I'll give you my credentials. Surprise, but they'd pick up very quickly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxi.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.